Jesus, 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 Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Oh, we praise you and bless you, Lord. Be magnified and glorified in your house today. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord, hallelujah. Oh, Lord, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Oh, Father, oh God, hallelujah. The enemy is defeated by the blood of the Lamb and the words of our testimony. And our words are that you are with us, that we are your children and you are our Father. Oh, Father, we praise you and bless you this morning. You are our defense and our righteousness, O oh Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Lord, we just wait in your presence. We just recognize you this morning, Father. Oh, Father. Hallelujah. Oh, Father. Praise you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just receive your spirit here today. We just receive, Father God, your, your place in our heart and in this church. And Father, we just welcome you. And thank you for allowing us to enter into worship with you. And to truly worship you and praise you. We may not be finished, Father, but we're on our way. We're on our way. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Steph and Katie. Thank you. That was wonderful. Thank you so much. I'm just going to turn that monitor off. Wow, he's beautiful. He is our defense and he is our righteousness. That's powerful stuff. He defends us against the enemy. It's so beautiful that in the, you know, when Jesus was in the garden, he prayed for the Father to protect us because, of course, he was praying for his disciples, but he was also praying for us 2,000 years later too. For the Lord to protect us from the evil one. And that we can stand here and know that Jesus is interceding for you, for you, Verna, and for you, everybody here. That Jesus is interceding for you. And Jesus never gives up. He never gives up. 
you are never at a point of no return. You are never at a point where it's useless. Jesus prayed for Peter and he said, when your faith is restored, feed my sheep. And God will restore us and bring us to that place. That wonderful piece of scripture, I paraphrase it, it says, yeah, humble yourself under the mighty hand of the Lord. Sometimes you have to do that. But in due time, you skip over some things, and then it says, in due time, the Lord will lift you up and he will strengthen you and put you back on your feet. The Lord will do this. And it's just this wonderful thing that God does n he never gives up on us and he is our righteousness. You don't have to be anything other than who and what you are in order to be loved by God and to be in God's family. There is no mark you have to hit. There is no faith you have to have. There is no great righteousness you have to achieve in yourself. Jesus said it's finished. Everything you need to be saved, everything you need to be with Jesus eternally was done on Calvary. We are so blessed. Father, I ask as we go into this message, please, Lord, this, uh, you know this message. You know what it's saying. And uh, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to give that beautiful redeeming nature that you have when you speak. The beautiful way to take tough stuff and make it beautiful and to turn it into an invitation instead of condemnation. So, Father, I ask for that beautiful gift uh, to once again be present as we enter into your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we've been going through a series of talks uh, based on Hebrews 12, um, and it's uh, Hebrews 1 through 13, and I've been just picking a few things, and it's giving us some indications about what we, how we should be perceiving difficulty, challenges, persecution, if we ever get to that point, and all these things. The ways and the perspectives we should have as Christians, and it's very important because Stephanie has also been talking about this in her talks, I believe God is preparing us for what is to come. And uh, I believe the next 20 years, if God stays away that long, Jesus doesn't return before then, we are going to have to implement and have a, an active living experience on how to handle what's coming. And this last part is the largest chunk, the writer of Hebrews, when he was talking about this, used like about five or six verses here, solely on the discipline of God. That sometimes what we are experiencing <coughs> can be the actual discipline of God in our life. Now that's a tough one. I cannot remember the last time I heard a message about God's discipline in our life. We are constantly hearing messages about Ra I don't want to. I don't want to sound uh, pejorative about it, but 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 these great victorious overlooking the problems and going forward to the victory kind of messages, and sometimes I think we have to to maybe not look so much to the victory yet, but look at what's happening right now in our life and start asking God, what's this all about? And that's what Hebrews was saying in Hebrews 12, saying, just don't say it's nothing, it obviously could be something that's going on in your life that you need to take a look at. So, Hebrews 12, 5 to 6. 
and you have completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son and daughter. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens. And as much as I... He chastens. I'll just leave it at that. I had a lot of struggle with the word chastens. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son or child. So this is the start uh, at verse 5, going into God's discipline. This is what the Hebrew writer is setting down first. He's saying, this is happening because you are a son and daughter. Right? It says something very interesting. It says, you have forgotten the encouraging word. So what the writer of Hebrews is talking about there is referring to the Old Testament because those are the scriptures that they were working with. So they were going back into the Old Testament and taking those and applying them to, the, to this new era where the Holy Spirit was trying to teach these Gentile and Jewish believers how to integrate these ancient Jewish scriptures into this new covenant, this new way of understanding it. But it's interesting that they go back in the Old Testament. There are some people that live strictly in the New Testament. They think the Old Testament is just, it's just something that you don't need to pay attention to. I drastically disagree with that, certainly considering that they're going back. But it's saying you've forgotten the word, and this is important because when we get into adversity, the thing we need to be anchored in is what the word says because everything else is going to be thrown to the wind. So... We go back to what the word says. And if our faith is anchored in something like positive feelings, our prayers always being answered, understanding everything that is happening and knowing all the whys and the absence of struggle, if that is what our faith has been in, then we're going to have some problems. There needs to be a massive change in what we're using as indicators in our faith. If we are believing that instead of what God's word says, it's going to be a problem. The encouraging word that they're talking about is that of Proverbs 3, 11 to 12. It says, my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. So it's an Old Testament and a New Testament understanding that when God disciplines us, even though it's rough, it's for your good. It's happening for your good, and it's being done out of love. Be, and, and in order to understand what we're going to go through here, we have to understand that God loves us unconditionally. Absolutely, just the way you are. Just the way you are. If you died today, you would go to heaven. If you had that walking relationship with Christ, you would go and be with the Father. You're, this is not some kind of a, a process where if you, if you pass the test, then you get in. That's not what this is about. God loves you unconditionally. Everything you are, everything you've been, everything you will be, in any way that is contrary to the Christian faith, Jesus died for on the cross. That's why he died. He came for the ugly stuff. He came for your bad stuff. He came for my ugly stuff. And discipline from God does not mean that he's angry, ashamed, or fed up with us. That's what happens when our parents discipline us. Very often we will go to that place, unless you have extraordinary parents who are able to do it in a way that doesn't cause that to happen. Many of us have grown up with parents that did not have that ability. 
And it's done to perfect Christ. That's what this is all about. To perfect Christ, Christ so that you are walking in greater measures of freedom and you are reflecting Christ in greater measures so that the people around you will walk in greater measures of freedom. We are Christ carriers. That is what we're here to do. And we are here to carry the image and the person of Jesus Christ so that people can see it in us and they can say, I want that. I need that. So that's what God is doing. He's perfecting Christ in us. And God knows uh, what needs correcting. You and I do not know what we need corrected. We, we get these, these broad ideas. We, you know, you know I think it's this. Stephanie and I were talking about this the other day. Um, when I was at the radio station, you used to do something called air checks, and you'd record your show. And then you'd go back, and all it would record is when you turned your microphone on, it would record what you say, and then it would turn off when you turned your microphone off. So you could go back and listen to every segment that you said. <laughs> You'll find out real quick what you're not aware of. You get, we do things called crutches where you will say things a certain way. Stephanie and I were laughing about it because we both have something around the word right. I say it all the time. I'll, I'll finish my sentence with right or right. And there's other ones. I know people have ums, um, um, in the middle. And you don't notice it when you're doing it, but when you sit and listen to the tape, you go, oh my goodness. You know, of course you're listening to it all at once too. But nonetheless, you are able to see things that you don't know you are doing. God knows the stuff you don't see. And he's trying to bring it up so you do see it. So that you, you can say, oh, okay, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. And that not doing that anymore may uh, involve a lot of things. Uh, confession and deliverance and healing and all kinds of things. But it is this ongoing process of creating Christ in us. So we have to trust that God knows what he's doing. And that the difficulty, struggle, whatever it is that God is using to discipline us is actually for a good purpose that we may not even understand. Galatians 4.19, oh my dear children, just talking about, Paul is talking about this development to just prove to you that this is what's going on in your life. This is what is happening. We're not just sitting in a vacuum. God is actually working on you and I. Paul said, oh my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. Paul knew what the, what the purpose of the Holy Spirit was. It was the development of Christ in our life. And I don't know where you are in your holiness meter, but I got a lot of Christ yet to be perfected. There's a lot of Christ yet to be perfected. So that's what's going, but it's for our good. Again, the discipline is for our good. It may be difficult, but we got to understand it's for a good purpose from a loving God to reveal and develop Christ within us. If we really don't care about developing Christ in us, uh, then you'll find that out real quick because you won't put up with the difficulty. Satan wants us to believe, of course, that the difficulties in our life are the proof God does not love us. Now, I don't know anyone in the Christian walk who has not battled with that continuously. Because, and the reason that's happening is because most of us have a love deficit in our life. We don't know what real love is. We've not experienced it from our parents. We've not experienced it from our spouses. We've not experienced it from the world. So when there is that love deficit, it's very hard 
during that time to also experience it from God, to think you're going to get it from God. The devil knows that. Pushing the button that God's mad with you, hates you, there's something wrong with you, you are outside the will of God, God has done, finished with you, it's a very easy button to push in us because we're very insecure. Most of us are very insecure and we have huge deficits in our hearts and in our being about who we are, our identity, about God loving us and how he sees us. And part of the difficulties of facing that lie that God is mad with you and hates you and all that stuff, you can do one of two things. You can run from it and try to get people to constantly tell you you are okay, which I have done all the time, and you're looking for a word and you're looking for a sign and will you pray for me and give me a word to tell me I'm okay, tell me I'm okay, tell me I'm okay. What that is, is your deficit. That's your love deficit screaming. You can't believe it from the word because that takes faith. So what we do is we don't have faith that God loves us, so we have to have a feeling he loves us. And that is not wrong. I understand what you're feeling when you go through that. That's human nature. That's part of the human walk. Don't kill yourself over that. But recognize it. And, you, and we need to make the transition from this is the way I feel to this is what the word says. And that transition can take 30, 40 years. Or it can take two days depending on how God works. Peter never got it. Peter, years, Paul was preaching, so it was 20, 30 years, maybe 20 years for sure, after Jesus had said what he said to Peter and Peter had walked with him. He's up in the church, and uh, I just forgot the church he was in. Um, anyway, the church that he was up in, and the Jewish guys were coming from Jerusalem, and he was up there with the Gentiles, understanding that God's love works in the Gentiles and the Jews, and we're all one. But when the Jews came from, from Jerusalem and came up, they were still believing in order to be in this new Messianic Christian faith, you needed to follow Jewish traditions. And when he, they came up, he pulled away. Because he was scared of what they were going to think of them and what they were going to say to him. And Paul rebuked him right to his face in front of everybody. Peter was learning too. So cut yourself some slack. This is a process of learning, but it's also a process of being honest and being brave and being courageous. You will not go through a discipline process with God without being courageous and brave. That's why constantly God is saying, don't fear, don't fear. Some, uh, another example of this type of discipline that God will use was around communion in the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 11:30 to 32. And this is Paul speaking to them because the communion service where they come together, it's not like we do it. Back then they'd have a meal and everything. It was a big production. It was a mess. People were eating ahead of other people. People were getting drunk because they drank wine and it was just a mess. The poor were coming in. There was nothing for them to eat. They were just making a mockery. There's a lot of problems in the Corinthian church. That is why many of you, and there was a consequence, they had to pay for that. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have died. But if we would examine ourselves, there's the tough one, we don't like doing that. We would not be judged by God in this way. He's saying that what was happening to these people was a judgment because of their wrong behavior. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined 
so that we will not be condemned along with the world. The Lord is trying to get our attention. He's trying to let us know you're doing something wrong here. We don't like that. We really don't like that. But again, the motivation was to bring correction so that they would not act like the world is acting. They would not believe like the world believes. That they would stand as this example of something different that didn't get drunk and wasn't eating more than others and wasn't taking more than others and didn't care for the poor and all this human carnal stuff. And, and, by, the, and by the look of it, God was pretty serious about it. There's some Old Testament discipline also. Deuteronomy 8 and 5. Think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. So way back at the beginning of God's journey with Israel, he was telling them this, that there's going to be discipline involved. And he does it because he loves us. I mean, how many parents, if you don't discipline your child, what does that mean? You don't care. You don't care. Unfortunately, today, um, there was a time through, I, I remember it certainly over like 10 years ago or whenever it was, but there was this whole move that if you weren't giving your child everything they wanted and that they weren't happy, you were a bad parent. So what you produced were a bunch of screaming, entitled, spoiled kids because we thought that their happiness was the greatest thing that was supposed to be for a parent. But no, their maturity is what is most important. Um, an example of God disciplining us again for our own good. This is going back to Job. This is Job speaking at the end of Job, at the end of the book of Job. Job is a book in the Old Testament. He is a guy that God did an extraordinary thing in his life. I don't think anyone likes reading Job because it's just this guy has been put through so much at the hand of God's allowance, which really makes us kind of get crazy when we think about that. But at the end of that experience, this is what Job says in Job 42. You asked, who is this? And he says, you asked. He's speaking about God saying to him, asking him, who is this muddying the water, ignorantly confusing the issue, second-guessing my purposes? This is God's question to Job. I admitted I was the one. I babbled on about things far beyond me made small talk about wonders way over my head. Oh, powerful correction of being nonchalant and uh, maybe arrogant and proud about his perception of God. And ladies and gentlemen, if the Western church is guilty of anything, it may be guilty of an arrogant, an arrogant display of what they think the gospel is. And I think we're going to be humbled to find out who God really is and who we really are in Him. And it's for good, because it needs to be corrected. I don't think I'm sitting, standing here saying, I don't think it would shock you for me to say the Western church needs to be disciplined. Doesn't mean everybody's bad. It just means we are coming out of the milieu 
out of a context of incredible entitlement. And we have lacked discipline and persecution and struggle. Um, and they are key components of being a Christian, being a good Christian. And you know what? The correction worked. Job 42 and 6, I take back everything I said. <laughs> and I sit in dust and ashes to show my what? Repentance. This is what God is after. You know what? Repentance is the greatest gift God has ever given you. It is the gift of life. The ability to go in front of God, to trust Him enough to say, this is true about me. This is true about me. And to be able to do that with an honest ability to know that He loves you anyway. And that takes time to get there. But to be able to go and say, I repent, Father God, of this. I truly desire to go in another direction. That's what repentance is. And that's, that must, it says, you know, God is happy when, you know, a thousand people are walking with him, but he gets crazy, crazy nuts when one sinner repents. And when we go in front of him and you dare, you dare to bring your baggage to him, you dare to open up in front of other people about your deepest, darkest hurt and, and brokenness and thoughts, when you do that because you trust God, whoa, heaven's going to move. Heaven's going to move. Stephanie has seen so many of those experiences in the, in the groups that she's done with inner healing where people get vulnerable and they get honest. And let me tell you, when that happens, God moves. God shows up. He shows up. Godly discipline will create an important question. Why is this happening? That's what will most often come to us. And if we go back to Hebrews, it causes us to search ourselves. It causes us to do some real hard work. Hebrews 12, 7 to 11, as you endure this divine uh, discipline, divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Powerful stuff there. I've never had a problem in my life, right? As a Christian, I don't know how many can say that, but if people are saying just victory after victory after victory after victory, you are in deception because that defies what Scripture says, that God disciplines us all unless you truly feel you do not need discipline. That's one of the, the problems with the victory, victory, everything's victory, victory, healing, healing, and that stuff. Yes, those things are real and they're there. And we should always have those as the ultimate end. But we can't ignore the process to them. We can't jump over our garbage. We can't jump over our fears. We can't jump over our abuses. We can't. God's not going to allow it because he wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Truth about who he is and about who we are and who he is in us. 
And in order for Christ to grow in us, something has to come out. <laughs> There's got to be a space made. And that's what he's getting at. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, I don't know how much we respected them. I think in many cases we feared them. Respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? See, this is the goal, to live forever, perfecting Christ in us. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. And you know what? We really do. We've got to give our parents a break um, in the sense that if they didn't know Christ, and even if they did, they're going to make mistakes. They're, they're flawed the same way we're flawed. The greatest gift you can give a child is a believing parent. Oh, someone who believes in Christ and is covering their children with prayer. Oh, man, I wish I'd have had it. But I've got it now. I've got God. I've got Jesus covering me now, so that's pretty good. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. That doesn't mean that we levitate off the ground. That means that when people look at us, they see something different. When we behave, we behave differently. The way we think, the way we feel, and the way we act, Liz and I were talking about this yesterday, that those things will be different. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening, it's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. I remember a man prayed for me many, many years ago, 1984, Ray Bloomfield. I've mentioned him to you, and he said, I have it pretty well memorized. I listen to it all the time. Someone was, God moved somebody up in the sound booth to record it. And in those days, it was cassette tape and brought the cassette down to me and said, give it to me. They did not know, nor did I know, I was only 24 years old at that time, that 42 years later, I would be listening to that with my like white knuckle saying, oh God, please, that prophecy. But he said, you have been called to be a leader of men. Great things have been planned for you. Great things have been uh, wished for you. Great things have been hoped for you but you must be tested and you must be tried even by fire. But fear not the test, saith the Lord. This is what he said to me. Fear not the test, saith the Lord. I will see to it that you overcome. This is the word of the Lord to you. I will see to it that you overcome. Amen. I listen to that part a lot. <laughs> I will see that you overcome. You will not see that you overcome. God will see that you overcome. You will not see your overcoming. It is God's doing. Christ will perfect the faith in you. You did not choose Christ. Christ chose you. It's his responsibility, not yours. The only thing we're saying, what God is saying to us today, is let me work with you. Let me change you. Let me, let me, let me. God has got everything prepared that is needed for you to look like Christ the way he wants you to look. In the meantime, are you going to bump into some ugly stuff about yourself? You're darn tootin' because he wants you to know what you've been forgiven of and he wants that to be taken. Those who are forgiven much love much. Trained in this way, a harvest of right living, 
And what Ray Bloomfield said to me at the end, he said, after you have received all these things that you have been seeking for me, you will live or you will serve me with a glad and a happy heart. 42 years later, what is the issue I'm dealing with? My heart. It's so beautiful. God, you know, 42 years ago gave that prophecy. But Job, again, going back to Job, he understood this positive end to discipline. He knew that it was, it was doing something good. In Job 23, 8 to 10, I go east, but he is not there. I go west, but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I look to the south, but he is concealed. How many times have you been in that situation? Where are you, God? Where are you? Now, Job is saying this when he's sitting in dust with boils all over his body, barely able to breathe because it was so painful. We don't know how long he was like that. We don't know. But even in that situation, and he's looking and he can't hear God, he can't see God. But he says this, but he knows where I am going, he being God. And when he tests me, I will come out as pure gold. There's faith. There's faith. As bad as Job is, none of you are living Job's life, I hope. But if you end up living Job's life, even that can be redemptive. Even in that, you can say, God, you were with me. You will not separate yourself from me. And when I come through this, I will be gold. That's hope. When a parent disciplines their child, you know they may try to explain to the child why they're being disciplined. Any of you that have kids know. Some children will calm down and listen. Others will just get angry and withdraw, pote. You know, right? We've all been that child. Too angry with the discipline to listen to the reason. Don't get that way. Don't get that way. I've been that way. Where you get so consumed with the struggle, with the, with the feeling, with the struggle, and with, oh, this isn't right, and da, 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 that you miss God's opportunity to say to you, well, this is why it's happening. And that takes discipline. A child doesn't understand at the time that you're disciplining them, giving them a time out, or taking something from them, or whatever it is, or, or consistently teaching them a behavior in public, and, and, and showing them how to be what? How to be respectful. How to be a mature person. And many of them, I've talked to many people, you have too, where they said many of their attributes that they now so are happy about and glad they have, they will say, my parents used to teach me this. My parents, I used to teach, they used to teach me these things. So as a child, when they were being disciplined, they didn't know that, you know, speaking in a certain way and to people and everything they just thought it was the right thing to do but they had to have a time out because they were being ignorant or disrespectful or stealing or whatever it is that's what they don't get it the kid doesn't get it at the time later on down the road in adulthood finally they go oh that's what that discipline and you and i may not get the discipline understanding at the time we're going through it that's where the faith comes in. 
That's where we have to say, Dad, I don't know what's being worked on here. I, I, don't, I don't know. But I am trusting that it's a good thing. And I'm trusting that I'm going to come forth as gold. I'm trusting that you're going to develop Christ in me through this. I'm trusting that I'm your child. And this is happening because I'm your child. It also, th- God's discipline can help us avoid future errors. In Psalm 94, it says, Joyful are those who, those you discipline, Lord, those you teach with your instructions. You give them relief from troubled times until a pit is dug to capture the wicked. Whew. Sometimes the Psalms don't cut any, boy, they just come out and say it. That God is waiting, that digging a pit for the wicked. It's like, you kind of go, oh. But you give us relief from troubled times because God allows tough times in our life to find his wisdom about them in scriptures because it's going to drive you back to the word. Godly discipline will drive you to the, to the word because nothing else is going to make sense. And it will drive you to the word and you know you're going to find out in the word what you're going to find out is first of all God loves you that yes, this kind of a difficulty can happen and I'm not being discarded by God and that he is still with me And even though it's not going away the way I want it to go away, he's still with me. I am still his child. It's actually a stamp on me that I am God's child, that this is happening. And so, okay. Now, we know there's stuff coming. There's stuff coming. We're living it now. COVID's not gone, and who knows what's coming with the economic stuff, and who knows what's going to happen with Ukraine. Who knows, who knows, who knows, right? But what we do know is that discipline will prepare us for that. So that when it comes, we won't go, what's going on? Where, where's God? God's disappeared. Discipline teaches us to go to the scriptures and find out what is true. It is what is true. Every bit of inner healing you will ever go through in the church process will guide you to one place. It will guide you to what is true in scripture. All inner healing consists of It's a thousand ways it can happen. It's taking a lie that you are living under and exchanging it for a truth that God gives you. That is the process. That's all inner healing. That is the process. And sometimes some huge things in between have to be moved for you to make the transition from the lie of, I'm no good, God doesn't love me, are you really with me, Lord? I don't trust it, all that stuff to get over to this other side. Sometimes there's a great big huge wall there. Great big wall. And sometimes God takes it down in one big smash, and sometimes you have to take that wall down one brick at a time. There's actually a thing we used to do in an inner, inner healing group, Stephanie and I were involved with, and they would take, we would put a wall up in front of people, of boxes, remember that? And, and, one, and each box would have a, a title on it, like, Uh, anger, bitterness, or lust, or abuse, or all these things, and it would be the wall in front of this person, and we just take one down at a time. It's just symbolizing the cleansing and healing process of God in our life, and that's what he wants to do. He wants to take your boxes down one at a time so you can do this. You can see them because the boxes get in the way. All we see are the boxes. Uh, this anger and fear and doubt and suspicion and oh I've done something wrong and oh oh God oh all this and I don't make fun of that I'm, I'm I know exactly what that is 
and he takes those boxes down one and shows you're forgiven or heals you and all of a sudden you start peeking over the boxes and you see this guy his name is Jesus who has been hollering to you over the boxes for decades I'm here I'm here I'm here just let them take the boxes down and then what happens is you reach in and he takes your hand this is the process that discipline does this is what God wants to do Jesus had to suffer it in Hebrews 2.10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. And do you know what that word suffered? Did a lot of work on that word. Spent a good afternoon on that word. That's one of the, one of the images of that is being whipped. And Jesus was whipped. And sometimes you may feel like you're being whipped. And sometimes maybe you are being whipped by the enemy. Hebrews 5, 7 to 19. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears. Picture that. To the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. That's a whole sermon. That piece of scripture is a whole sermon. But he became perfect, which means he was perfect in a certain attribute. That's what that means there. There was something being perfected in Jesus through what he suffered. Here's where our Christology uh, we, have to, we have to think about. People have varying ideas about Jesus. Some believe he, everything he did was because he was God and he was able to do it and he just floated around the earth. That's not true. Scripture tells us that he put all of that aside. Jesus had in his life, what he had to work with was the same thing you and I have to work with, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. He did not have any divine attributes. He gave those up so that he could become like you and me. So that he could be that perfect sacrifice for you. He would feel everything, experience everything. If there was some level of God protecting Jesus so that he could just go around and do... It said that he would heal. In one situation he was healing, it said because the power of God was there to heal. So that must mean that sometimes it wasn't. He couldn't turn it on and off. That was not, he did only what he saw his father doing. He said only what the Lord told him to say. He was in complete obedience to the father. And that, that he was walking in flesh the same way you and I are walking in flesh. And you know and I know we need to learn obedience. It does not come naturally. It really doesn't. And I mean, he was already divinely perfect in that sense. He didn't have a sin nature. He didn't have that. You and I were born with it, unfortunately. But he didn't have that. But he was suffering in the area of his flesh. He was tempted in all the ways that we are. He had to deal with the denial of relationship. Do you think Jesus didn't want to have a love for another person, that intimate relationship with everything in his body? We're broken, you know, distorted things. He was firing on all eight cylinders. Everything, 
the desire of the heart to attach to another human being so you could have that intimacy, so that you could have that oneness that is so strong within people to get married and to have relationship and to crave for that. His, yours, you have yours, his was t on all eight cylinders. There is nothing distorting it. Choosing mercy over anger all the time, he had to do that. Forgiveness over judgment, he had to do that all the time. Obedience to the Father's will. And the garden showed us how hard that was. He suffered. And for three years, he walked around this planet loving in full measure, no diminished amount, in full measure, he loved the person he knew who was going to be the reason for his death, Judas. He treated Judas no differently than he treated anyone else. And he loved him and he cared for him, washing his feet the night that he would betray him. So how does God discipline us finally? Well, you know, trouble at work, hardship at home, travail in the ministry. Paul had difficulties. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was in shipwrecks. He had hunger. He didn't have enough clothes. He said he was cold. He knows what he, all those things. Those weren't happening just because it was some kind of a dramatic addition to the gospel. It was because God was perfecting something in Paul. He may allow extreme loss. David sinned in the Old Testament. He had sexual relationship with a woman who was not his wife, actually killed that woman's husband, premeditated over a period of days. And about a year later, or a while later, uh, guess what? God let him know. God knew. And that baby died. The baby that he had with, uh, with uh, that woman died. And um, physical ailments or even death, as we saw in the Corinthian church. And sometimes God just lets the consequences of our sin go. And that teaches us enough right there. But what we have to remember in all of it is that it is happening for a good reason. It's happening for a reason that is going to make us more like Christ. Finally, James 1, 2-4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. We'll try, Lord. We'll really try. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. That's so powerful. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Last year I was here, and it was when I had decided to take that six months off. I was still here at the church, but I, I wasn't speaking. And I was at the back, and it was, oh, it was a bad day, and I was crying, and everything that I'm dealing with was, was just going wild and crazy. And I went downstairs, and... and uh, Caroline came down, actually, and she looked at me and she said, Pastor, you're in a time of endurance, and the Lord has given you the gift of endurance. And I went, oh, endurance, oh. But it was good news. And when I put this scripture, to, I, it, it came to me that Caroline had said that to me. And so 
the good news from that is that when you're in a place of struggle that requires endurance, guess what's coming next? Perfect and complete, needing nothing. This is what God is perfecting. That perfect relationship where you are complete in obedience and like Ray Bloomfield said to me, you will serve me with a glad and a happy heart. Don't be dismayed that your heart may not be glad and happy right now. I don't think Job's was. I don't think Paul's was all the time. I don't think any of them. I think they all had the same struggle. But that is where you're going, to serve God with a glad and a happy heart. I know some of you are there already. I've talked to some of you, and it's, it's a gift to be around you. Um, it really is. But I also know the struggle that you went through to get there. So, Father, we thank you for what you're saying to us, that, Lord, you are our Father. We're your child. We accept today. And for anyone here today that feels fear or confusion and knows that they're struggling with this issue of difficulty in their life and it makes them feel lost, it makes them feel abandoned, it makes them feel like, Lord, you are angry and they just can't get over those feelings. Father, this morning I pray. I pray, Lord, that you give us a fresh revelation of your love, a fresh revelation that, Jesus, you said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You're mine. You are mine and I am yours. That's beautiful scripture that says the Lord is my portion and that Jesus you are with us and nothing will separate us no demon in hell no difficulty no sin no circumstance is going to separate you father from the love you have for us in Christ Jesus and you're going to finish that good work you're going to finish it in Christ Jesus that you have begun so father we receive that today in Jesus name amen Amen. Whew. God's good, eh? It's not always easy. And he's good. Uh, let's uh, take up an offering. Lord, we give you the opportunity now, or you give us the opportunity to give back to you. We do so with thanks and as an act of worship and trust. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <coughs>